it's time to hate watch with us. That's all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that, that's where that one ends. <laughs> so by the time this episode comes out, Facebook will be launching a new business venture tentatively called Facebook TV. We just got that news at the end of last week, and so Kelsey and I have spent some time developing some thoughts about what that's going to be like. And then for our B segment, we are going to talk about something that I've wanted to talk about for a little while, going back to some old school armchair psychology, and we're going to be talking about the media that was formative in our early years. So exciting. So exciting. A little apprehension on my side, but... (laughs) Yeah. Excitement, nonetheless. You're definitely, like, really skeptical of this idea. <laughs> It'll be good. It'll be good. We're going to talk about developmental psychology, and we're going to talk about media literacy, media theory, and then Facebook. we're going to tell lots of personal <laughs> stories about ourselves. Oh, oh wow. and also Facebook is trying to run television now. <laughs> Just a little cultural moment happening over here. <laughs> Kelsey, why don't you give us some background and some, like, initial thoughts when you got the news? Yeah, so it's been no secret that Facebook has wanted to get into TV for a while. They emphasized video when, I don't know, a year ago, year and a half ago, they really started pushing everyone to use video from, like, a marketing perspective. Yeah, especially, like, once live streaming became a thing. Yeah, and they were very eager to have different broadcasters and TV networks share long-form video content from their Facebook feeds, especially live. I know there was one network who was in a partnership with Facebook to stream minimum of 30-minute long Facebook lives, like, every day or something oh crazy like God. that. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's Which aggressive. seems like a lot of work. So Facebook has not made this too surprising, but it's still concerning slash disappointing slash what slash just like what fresh hell is this right so after months of it like being teased supposedly it will be out mid-august ish when you're listening to this facebook tv it seems like it's trying to compete with youtube tv but also not they're trying to make it a little bit more fancy and polished i don't know if it's going to air as like streaming content or live content, TBD, I think, unless you've heard it otherwise. So far from everything I've read, it sounds like they're trying to, you know, fight the battle on all fronts. So it sounds like they're trying to do some traditional content. They're doing some revivals of like very old properties. Like they, they're reviving some old ass failed MTV property. So they're going to do like some regular release shows. I read one thing that said that they're not going to drop shows all at once like Netflix does, so they're going to be doing weekly release. But to your point about existing contracts and their emphasis on Facebook Live, I I do think, I don't know that I've read it, but I do think that there will probably be some of that in the mix. And then one of the things I read was saying that there's an emphasis right now on five to ten minute clips. Oh, so not like a full... 30-minute episode. I think they they will do some that are slightly longer format, but that for the time being, a lot of the emphasis is on shorter clips. I did read somewhere else, though, that they do have some budgets as high as $3 million per episode. So there is some property out there that they are going to be investing in, like, far more heavily, like, more networky. Although I did read that Facebook is not going to be doing anything with any form of nudity, violence, or swearing because they are trying to be the safest and most straight and narrow network in television. God, be more boring. (laughs) It's like CBS, we already have one of those. Because that'll work. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's also, I don't know how they're going to fit paid into this but I'm sure they will because paid is paid is so important to them like I'm wondering like can I buy pre-roll on this tv show I'm assuming so especially because that's a model that already exists so they would be stupid not to yeah and are they going are they trying to just encourage other networks to start making content exclusively for Facebook Or are they trying to stay as a legitimate competitor long-term? In my limited reading, that is still unclear to me. So listeners, if you've heard more than we have at this point, 
find us on Twitter at Hate Watch with us and let us know. My understanding at this point is that they're licensing a ton of content and getting ready to bring writers on board for original, but don't intend to be direct competitors with like Netflix and Hulu. Okay. So again, like I think they're just trying to fight the battle on all fronts. Like I think they want to do all of it. I think they want to license content and they want to do original content and they want to do network content and they want it to be short form and they want it to be long form (laughs) and they want it to be for viewers 17 to 30, but they really want to focus on people mostly in like the 25 to 30 and they want it to be live. (laughs) I literally think they're trying to do it all. Oh, Zuck, what have you done? They're like a rom-com career woman. They are the rom-com <laughs> career woman of television. <laughs> They're like the Kate Hudson. Oh, why? <laughs> like, I ask why Zuck pretty much every day of my life, but mm-hmm. particularly on this day, why Zuck? Why? why Zuck? Yeah, and they're making interesting choices. Like I mentioned that they're they're bringing on an old MTV property that I had never heard of. It's a reality property, too. Yeah. And MTV had straight up canned it. Like, MTV had Next, and they're telling me that there was a show that was below them (laughs) that Facebook is going to pick up? For real? Yep. Netflix is working with the creators of American Ninja Warriors on a reality show called The Last State Standing. That'll go well. That's starting to sound pretty Hunger Gamesy to me, y'all. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, this news has been difficult to take seriously. And I know that probably everyone has said this every time a new technology has tried to come in or like a new platform has tried to come in to the network environment and steal some of the market share. So I know I sound like that critic right now. However, it did lead us down a road of opportunity <laughs> in making fun of our <laughs> friend Zuck. Yes. <laughs> so we've taken the liberty of reporting on the Facebook originals that we predict to see rolling out over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you like to share some of yours first? Do you remember the YouTube web series Lonely Girl 15? <laughs> oh no. So I'm not saying, so Lonely Girl 15 was a web series that came out when YouTube first started to really make it big. And basically the shtick was like, it was a series of weekly videos from this chick in her bedroom. And you just thought she was like relatable chick doing video diary. And then over the course of several months, you begin to find out that she's actually uh, been kidnapped by a cult and is being held hostage. And then it turns into this like giant, weird, like Blair Witch Project run through the woods. Um, So I'm not saying it'll be Lonely Girl 15 for sure, <laughs> but... Definitely, I could see Facebook doing a similar character mystery via short-form clips or other faux reality. I think based on the success of Tasty, we're going to see a cooking channel Mm. of some kind. And I could see it going down the road of Martha and Snoop's potluck dinner party. Or I could see it going down the road of, like, real people cooking And, like, what an opportunity to get Blue Apron on board. It's true. As we know from our other podcasts who are sponsored, there's so many options when it comes to (laughs) home-delivered meals. (laughs) A better way to Facebook. (laughs) Um, I also think in in terms of MTV revivals, we're going to see Cribs come back, except it's going to be McMansion Hell. I love that. It's my dream. (laughs) God, Facebook, if you do that, I will forgive you for everything. (laughs) I think Facebook is really going to want to monopolize on the Instagram community. And so I could see Lifestyle Instagrammers making juice smoothies as its own series. Mm -hmm. And I've also been thinking a lot about platforms like Twitch and all of the other stream, like live streaming opportunities. And rather than... Twitch for video games. What if we had Twitch for people making their wedding boards on Pinterest? <laughs> I'm like debating in my mind if I would watch that or not. And I might. 
I mean, it would be a really good place for us to do Fantasy Wedding League. Oh, it would. It would be so much to hate. I'd be so happy. What about live streams of people watching TV? Okay. You think Facebook's ready to go meta? They could be. Make it the right event. (laughs) Well, yeah, like you could do live streams of people watching sporting events. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could have like on Super Bowl Sunday, instead of Facebook trying to get like the rights to the Super Bowl, they could just live stream people's Super Bowl parties using Facebook Live. They could live stream people watching Ice Melt on Facebook Live. Yes. Yep. Yep. Ice and fire, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, you know, like, screw recappers. What if you could have real-time commentators? You could completely upend oh my the God, entire this is my nightmare. TV criticism market. Like, we could bring Vulture in real time. Thank you for everything you do, Zuckerberg. This is going to be innovative. And last but not least, this was a suggestion from my husband. A live stream of people watching the live stream that their viewers are watching. Oh. Yes. We got to build a community. I would be, like, I would feel weird being on air watching other people watching. It's like a scary (laughs) loop of Black Mirror. (laughs) I also feel like I put down specifically Emoji TV. And mostly I'm being salty because the Emoji movie just came out and nothing matters. We're all going to die. But... Couldn't you just see that being a promotional opportunity so a film comes out and then the studio creates a series of shorts? So, like, what they already do with trailers or different? But, like, more different, like, in series, in a series form. More like what Disney Channel used to do with Disney Channel originals. Okay. Do, you like, little five-minute shorts that aren't necessarily trailers. It's new content. It's not ripped from the existing film. But they can do that anyway. They don't need Facebook TV. Yeah, but Facebook needs them. That's for sure. That's the point. The whole point of this exercise (laughs) is that Facebook needs them. Facebook doesn't need everyone. (laughs) Facebook needs approval more than anyone else I know. (laughs) And at this point, Facebook is dumpster diving. So let's not pretend that Facebook's too proud. That's true. (laughs) Welcome to the punchline. I'm glad you joined us. (laughs) Oh, boy. How much time do you give them before this gets shut down? Mm, Eight months. I was going to say eight months, too. Yep. Because it's like, it's less than a year. It's not going to be oddly straddling in a season. And it's just enough time to completely blow an entire budget, but not make back any revenue. Right. Like, they're already... Pulling away from Facebook stories. Yep. And that's been around for, like, maybe four months. Yep. We're on track. Yep. And just looking at the properties they've been able to pull at this point, it's not like, it's not like they're bringing in the brightest minds or, like, the best old shit, you know? Yeah. No. And it's great that they have some shows that they're willing to invest as much as $3 million per episode into, but all things considered, that's not going to get you that far, especially if it's only a couple of shows that are actually getting that kind of budget. Also, Twitter still owns the TV conversation. Yes. Yep. You're not going to... You're... That's not you true. Can't, but you can't just try to claim... And so if you can't win the TV conversation, you can't right. just try to make your own TV. <laughs> we want people to talk about TV here. So now we have TV. Right. I mean, re re our conversation about like talking to people who watch bad TV or like watch TV differently than us. Facebook is kind of that market. So bad. <laughs> yeah. And like Facebook has a slightly better interface for that kind of conversation. So if that's really what they're trying to recoup, then like fine. I don't think that's what they're trying to do. I think Twitter is safe in that sense. For now. For now. I I honestly, other than just trying to be like fucking overachievers, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do. I mean, obviously they're trying to di- diversify their revenue, but like- and Get that sweet, sweet cash. Yeah. They're really just trying to be show-offs though. Like this is really just about Zuck feeling like it's his 
like calling from God to innovate the entire human race. You know, he's one of those people who just walks into a room and is like, but what if TV and walks out and everyone scrambles and then comes up with Facebook TV? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what happens. Ugh. What was on your list? So I've got a pretty full variety lineup. We can start with a fun new sitcom about a high-powered career woman whose mom won't stop posting embarrassing pictures of her on Facebook. (laughs) LOL, moms. (laughs) Oh my god. Wait, I think ABC already made that sitcom. (laughs) They did make that sitcom. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's about like a reporter. Yeah. And her mom gets a job... At the same news station. Yeah, so it's pretty close. (laughs) They're working off what they know. What can I say? Uh, A serious drama, so it's very dark, about someone who gets abducted because their privacy settings weren't optimized. (laughs) Can their friends use Facebook Messenger to track them down before it's too late? (laughs) How about an artful short told entirely in Facebook stories? Will flop and not be renewed for season two. (laughs) A workplace comedy where everybody uses Facebook for work. Oh, God. That's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Facebook for work exists, guys. (laughs) It's a real thing. Um, How about, how about a choose-your-own-adventure where people vote based on likes and loves and angries and sads? Wait, I like that. (laughs) <laughs> there's potential there there is that would be a live candidate for so sure. would oh shit wait this is a good one so would you have multiple like multiple streams so that if yeah. everybody who votes angries like they get a special ending all to themselves no like, you just if go you with voted the angry votes. last week come over to this video you could do that too oh but if it's running on live you'd have to go with the that's true popular vote Gotcha. So you'd have, you'd have like five canned endings and you'd just go with the popular. Yeah. Is there a Facebook electoral college? Well, speaking of voting, (laughs) I've got another show for you. Oh no. How about a political procedural about an unlikely candidate who uses particularly sinister targeted content to sway an election? Too soon? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't not do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Moving on. Um, how about an hour-long dramedy about a young developer who just can't get it right? Instead, he copies competitors' business tools and forces them upon his users, even though they don't want them. Oh or, finally... Let's cap it all off with a reality competition series where contestants have to generate clickbait headlines. Whoever gets the most clicks wins. That's a good one. (laughs) I will tell you already, that is going to outlast Beat Shazam. That's true. Yeah. Oh, Beat Shazam. (sighs) So that's my lineup. That's a good one. You beat me. Feels solid. I really wanted to hit, you know, an original for everyone on Facebook. Yeah. The hard part for me is I, where you excelled in this, is actually taking them at their word that what they're trying to do is television adjacent. (laughs) Whereas I just couldn't even give them that much credit. I I just couldn't even get there. Yours are much more likely to actually happen. (laughs) Mine were just making a mockery of their attempt. Oh my god. We, uh, as a, uh, damn it, I almost did it again. As a handmade project, nope. What's that show? That's the show. That is the show. (laughs) I I kept getting called The Handmaid's Tale and it has me all thrown up. As a handmaid's project, different show, spinoff, it's just people doing Pinterest fails. Yep. It's like America's Funniest Home Videos, except Pinterest fails. You've really done a good job at teasing our next few topics (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, so that's Facebook TV, guys. And that's coming at you whether you want it or not. 
We somehow get points if any of our originals become reality. <laughs> Don't know what they mean yet, the but Facebook we get points. The fantasy draft. Yeah. <laughs> Consider our content drafted. It's drafted, guys. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time to be alive because when a lot of the big changes to like the media landscape were happening, I was at a, a certain age where I wasn't paying close enough attention to get, like, the commentary. And I don't have a great memory of what the internet was like in 2006, but I don't think think pieces were what they are today. Nope. And so I know from historical precedent that, like, everyone tweaks out anytime there's a new platform, be it communication or, like, art. And so it's easy to tweak about the idea of Facebook introducing TV. And it could very well be that five years from now, it just is the norm and it is what it is. And it's not interesting to anyone in- anymore. So I'll be interested to track this transition because it it seems like a really fucking terrible idea right now. For the sake of posterity, this is what we think of Facebook right now. <laughs> So five to ten years from now, when everyone's writing glowing think pieces about how Facebook television changed the world, this is what it was like. (laughs) (laughs) Before that happened. It also reinforces for me that every day we get a little bit closer to uh, the fictional universe of the book Feed. Which I've never read. Like, so... Like, so in Feed, they all have a computer chip in their brain that is integrated with their thoughts and their vision and hearing, and it can also track, like, their heart rate and, like, other bodily functions. So it's, like, a fully integrated operating system, essentially. But the Feed has a constant media stream, and it's mostly a commentary on advertising. So most of what is being fed through the Feed, LOL, is different types of advertising attempts. And so there's, like, this whole competition with Coca-Cola where, like, whoever can say Coke the- Coca-Cola or Coke the most in casual conversation gets a free pack. And so they all sure. sit around just trying to say Coca-Cola as much as possible. And, like, how different is that really from having branded content under the guise of MTV on Facebook that you're watching on your smartphone on the subway and then commenting to get entered into a drawing for a tropical vacation. Y'all, don't use your free data to watch Facebook originals anywhere yep. besides on Wi-Fi. <laughs> Even if you free have data, data. I said free data, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't give Zuck that kind of satisfaction. No. And listen, Zuck, if you're out there, we have a chat that is long overdue. So hit us up. Oh my god, so long overdue. So, we've, we've had things to say to you, Zuck, since before the time of Facebook Messenger. I make, like, 60% of my income off of Facebook properties, and <laughs> I still have a lot of things to say. <laughs> yeah. So, if you have thoughts or feelings about Facebook TV... Particularly if you would like to pitch some potential new shows that we can expect in Facebook's upcoming seasons, you can find us on Twitter at HateWatchWithUs or send us emails at HateWatchWithUs at gmail.com. I'm eagerly awaiting your own originals. Please come up with so many originals. This is my new favorite game. (laughs) (laughs) So it's something that's slightly different, although not entirely because Facebook will be the formative media of the upcoming generation. We wanted to take a step back and talk a little bit about the media that has shaped us or, at a minimum, had an impact on our lives because we consumed a lot of it. So much of it. So much of it. So for me, where my interest in this comes from is two theories, basically. One of them is media and one of them is developmental. So the media theory is that there's no such thing as a passive audience. We had a professor who this was like, his thing that he said constantly. It was like a mantra. So there's no such thing as a passive audience. You can't consume a text of any kind passively because every moment that you're engaging with it, be it watching or listening or whatever, you're constructing meaning. So there's a thought process going through your mind that is interpreting the things happening on the screen, on the page, wherever, and is 
being registered as meaning in your own mind. And so you're not able to just be passively absorbing it. What's interesting about that is, long story short, and a lot of philosophy condensed down into a sentence, that's more or less how, like, all of early childhood works. Mm-hmm. It's, like, sort of what your brain is is exactly doing is, like, literally everything that's happening around you from about, like, 20 to 25 weeks pregnancy until, you know, you become a somewhat cognizant human of speaking ability that's what's happening is like you're interpreting meaning around you. So like infants aren't actually passive and like babies aren't actually passive. They're all constructing meaning. So there's that. The other thing is a theory out of developmental psychology, um, which is Brompenbrenner's ecological systems theory. And very long story short, this is a series of concentric circles that essentially explain how people become who and what they are and how the way that they think is shaped. So it basically explains like where your worldview comes from. And so like the smallest circle is you and like who you are, your age, your gender. The next circle out is your family and like what is of note about them and what they believe. And then it's the town that you grow up in and the school that you go to and the church that you're in. It's like your local community and what's going on there and how that shapes you. And then the circles go out two more layers and it's what's happening in like national government and events and then what's happening culturally. And the idea is that each of those circles are creating a feedback loop back to you and you're interpreting what's happening at all of those levels and creating some kind of meaning from it. Mm-hmm. So basically those two theories are extremely similar and reflect a worldview that like what happens in pop culture is impacting what you feel about the world as you come into it. Sure. So that's why I've been interested in talking about this. All right. It's like the pop culture view of what was happening for you as, like, a, a person coming into cognizance. That's <laughs> not weird at all. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we come here to get deep, right, guys? It's true. Uh, we are looking, this is probably going to be a two-part series. We're going to come back to this next week. So for the purposes of this week, we're looking at stuff we were into up until probably like age 11-ish, entering middle school. Yep. So what do you got? Oh, I'm going first? You're going first. I'm throwing you under the bus. All right. So we talked a little bit about this in person this weekend. Guys, we hung out this weekend. We did. It was really great. We just wanted to brag about it. Yeah. So I basically have a list of stuff that I consumed frequently, not in really a series of color-coded labels and systems that you have, but (laughs) it's just some stuff, and I'm going to let you do the armchair psychology around it. Okay. Let's see. What should we start with? I guess television, right? Sure. As an early child. (laughs) An early child. (laughs) We did not have cable until right around our cutoff point. Which is so fascinating to me because you are someone who watches so much content. Right. This has been discussed on ATV with Catherine not being allowed to watch TV either. Yeah, and it's a phenomenon that I've seen with other people. I knew a lot of people growing up who were not allowed to watch TV. Yeah, so I don't think that I was limited in in how much TV I could watch. It was just that I didn't have extra channels to play with. So it's a little different. But the moral of the story is I watched a fuck ton of PBS. <laughs> Good old PBS. Yeah. So in addition to your Sesame Street and your Barney that every, every kid watched probably, some highlights that I have on my list of PBS shows that I recall are Kid Songs, Zoom, Kratz Creatures, Mr. Rogers, Thomas the Tank Engine, Lamb Chops Play Along, and The Magic School Bus. Can I just tell you how important Kratz Creatures was to me as a child. Please tell me. <laughs> like, so important. Because not only were they straight ballers on their own. They were. But they have familial connections to Vermont. And so they would, like, come and spend a lot of time here. Which, like, especially back then, Vermont didn't get a lot of recognition. So <laughs> that was cool. And right when they were, like, hitting it big, they released, like, their second or third book. And it blew up. And they were doing this national book tour. And they came to the Barnes & Noble in town. And my mom tried to take me to get my book signed. 
And so many people came that the fire marshal actually shut down the event and evacuated the building. (laughs) And we got there, like, minutes before that happened. So my mom had actually, like, turned us around and had us leave. And I was a good sport about it, but I was very sad. And it was such a thing that the next day they came to my elementary school and hung out in my classroom and, like, did autographs for everyone because they knew that there were so many kids who didn't get to go to the book signing. Aww. Yeah. So I actually met them, guys. Wow. Yeah. They're such celebrities. I know. So Kraut's Creatures, longevity there. <laughs> Still got legs. How old do you think they were when they were making that? Like, 25? Yeah. Yeah, no, they literally started that show when they were, like, 23-ish in that range. Wait, you might have said this, but was Arthur on that list? Not on there, but should have been. Yeah, I was gonna say. Arthur was more something that my sister watched, though. (laughs) So we had, I have a sister who's like three years younger, so some shows were more her shows that I would watch versus Mm. shows that I would watch myself. Gotcha. Arthur, like, towed that line. I loved Arthur. Arthur was always on, like, I would be, like, walking through the door of my house as Arthur was on. Yeah, it was definitely, like, an after-school show. And I I had cable off and on through my childhood, and so there was a period of time where where that show was actually Doug when I had Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And then eventually when it moved to Disney Channel, although by then I didn't watch it anymore because it was stupid when it moved to Disney Channel. You know, I only just, like, last week found out that there were two different Dougs. Oh, Really? Yeah, because I always thought it was so bad, and then I learned I was watching the Disney Channel version the whole time. Yeah, I figured it out when I was still a kid, but it definitely took me, like, a year or two. Because, again, like, I was off and on cable for a while, so there's, like, a period of a couple years where we didn't have cable, and it was around that time that the Doug thing happened. Mm -hmm. So when I got back onto cable, it took me a while to, like, figure it out. Patty had a different skirt in the Disney Channel one, and that's how I always knew what I was getting myself into. Or, like, she wore pants or something instead of her skirt. There was some shit that was up with Patty, and I was not feeling it. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Oh, I'll get it? (laughs) Because it's, like, dead funny. Because his name is funny. (laughs) Yeah, so was that your whole list? That was my TV show list. Oh, you're okay. I was going to say, that is short. No, all right. I'll move into movies. But first I'm going to mention that some of the content that I watched very frequently (laughs) was these VHS tapes that Disney World used to send in the mail (laughs) as preview videos to get you to buy a vacation. And I used to watch those constantly. In addition to like the... Disney sing-alongs in the Disney parks, which I think were also some sort of promotional material. So my parents basically teased that I could go to Disney for my whole childhood and then I never went. Which is also super funny because as we've talked about on the show before, you didn't watch much Disney. Like you didn't watch many Disney movies. I watched You are not. You are not well-versed in the princess lineup. Don't even try me right now. I've watched, like, half the princesses. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in terms of movies, there are a lot of Disney on this list, so there. Mm -hmm. Movies that I was really into were The Little Mermaid, Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, Mary Poppins, which was a huge one, and I had Imaginary Friends, (laughs) which were the children in that movie. For maybe too long. <laughs> the Sound of Music was big for me. Toy Story was big. Although that's... Yeah, no, that's the right age. And The Parent Trap, which goes without saying, it's still big for me. And um, Harriet the Spy was another movie I was really into. Mm. You want to know what's fascinating? It's fascinating is a strong word here. <laughs> I have never seen Harriet the Spy. Really? And I don't know how that's possible because literally all of my friends had the orange VHS. Yeah. And I never saw it. Wow. You know what's fascinating? Mm. I had like a mild, like what the level of crush you can have on someone when you're like young. Yeah. Uh, on the like main boy character in that movie. And then I had a crush on the main character of Everwood later on and I found out it was the same person. Oh my god. <laughs> Aww. What a consistent thirst. So consistent. 
analyze that. <laughs> oh my god, that's really good. Yeah. So that's my movies. I may have missed a few, but those were the main ones. Mary Poppins was like the most important, and then The Parent Trap directly followed that, so those were pretty big. Yep. It's also interesting to me that Parent Trap was like such an important one to you. It's so important. Worth noting, I think, because I didn't really add a music category, but uh, almost all of the music I listened to was from movies Yeah, for a long, long, long time. So it was like movie soundtracks, including the Parent Trap soundtrack, <laughs> which holds the fuck up. <laughs> it is in my car as we speak. Oh my God. <laughs> as a CD that I got when I was like nine years old. Oh my God. It holds up. That's where I first heard a Beatles song that I remember. Yeah. You know, there's like important things to be learned from the Parent Trap, guys. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so rounding out my list, I did make a list of computer games that I was into because I feel like that's an important form of formative media. That is important. I missed it on my list and I wish I hadn't because that's an important one. It's important. So I was trying to think of like that far back. Things like Oregon Trail yep. obviously came to mind. Carmen San Diego. Yep. 3D pinball was important to me. Yeah. I have a strong memory of in the second grade setting the high score on every classroom computer for 3D pinball. <laughs> Dang girl. I was that cool. <laughs> Backyard baseball was a weird one that we played a lot in in social gatherings, not so much on my own. And then another one that I don't know where this falls exactly in your timeline. It might be in between. Mm-hmm. Mavis Beacon teaches typing. Yep. Was real important. And not the kids version, the adult version. Yep, me too. Me too. Mavis Beacon and I had a long road together. She was really important to me in my life. Like, one of my most important figures <laughs> in my life. Is that where your your long history of hero worship stems from? It is. <laughs> Mavis. Good old oh, Mavis. Mave. Yeah, she was pretty great. She taught me about typing, and then that carried me through my past early childhood. <laughs> It was great. You want to know what the worst back. game was in Mavis Beacon? Was what? that fucking spaceship one where you're flying the spaceship mm-hmm, by your typing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I was a good typist, and right, and that one was the fucking worst. It was the worst. I, I liked Mavis one. Beacon so much that I also did the number key one after I did the alphabet. Yeah. Well, we were required to. Oh, this was not for school. This was for fun. No. I, my parents bought me Mavis Beacon. <laughs> I, well, I eventually had Mavis Beacon on my computer at home, but in middle school, jumping ahead a little, it was required for three years. We had a, a it was technically a technology class, but we just did Mavis Beacon and they had those giant black things that they would put over your fingers so you couldn't see oh. because the belief at the time, and our teachers all said this to us, at least in my school was that typing was going to be literally, no irony intended, a resume-worthy skill, and that you were going to need to put, like, your words per minute on your resume, and that you were not going, like, it was not going to be acceptable by the time we were in the workforce to still be, like, doing the hunt and peck method. So, (laughs) which is so silly looking back. But also, I kind of judge people who use hunt and peck method. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally expect everyone to be competent typists. I don't know why that throws me off every time, but it pissed me off at the time. Like there were so many technology days where, where I would like cry and yell at my teacher because I like couldn't do it. And then I got really competitive and that's when (laughs) I ended up with Mavis Beacon at home. And I did set a record in my whole high school for typing speed. I was accused in high school by my computer teacher of cheating the typing program. (laughs) Because I had already completed Mavis Beacon, like, six years before. Right. And I was already too fast for it. So I would finish her whole lesson plan in, like, five minutes. Yep. And then she didn't know what to do with me, so she was mad about it. Yep. Yep. So instead I was cheating. Yeah, that's how I set the record in my high school, too. 
Wow. It was 157 words per minute. Thank you very much. Kirsty, I have a great idea. What? We should take a typing test on air sometime. Oh my god, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners will never hate us more than when Facebook moment. gets their their live platform like locked in a little bit more. We can even do a dual dual stream. Yes. Get hype, listeners. No, you're waiting for that content. <laughs> it's the best content ever. Yeah, but that's my list of formative cool. media that I could think of at the time. So, mine is complicated. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah, right? As Kelsey alluded to at the beginning of this conversation, I have four categories. One of them is color-coded in four degrees. And then I have a separate list of common themes. So take from that what you will. And rest assured, all of my dear friends here tonight, that I'm not going to read every single one of these to you. That would be aggressive. So basically, I broke it down into four categories. Stuff my mom liked, stuff I liked, stuff I watched a lot, and stuff that stuck. So the stuff that my mom liked were like the movies and music that my mom was super into and so I was exposed to. And the thing about it, and I don't know like how common of an experience this is, but like I didn't listen to kids' music so much. So like my mom had all of these cassettes of like Pink Floyd and Queen, Metallica and Black Sabbath, and like that's just what we listened to like all the time. Primarily Queen, because Queen is her favorite band, and we had, like, 20 different concert VHS tapes from Queen, and, like, that was a pretty constant in my life. And, like, I think she is a lot of what shaped, like, my musical tastes to come. But she was also super into, like, really old movies, and particularly, like, the golden age of Hollywood, so, like, 50s musicals. Mm-hmm. So we watched The Ghost of Mrs. Muir a lot which I did not understand as a small child, but, like, I really enjoy now as an adult. She was super into Dr. Zhivago, Highlander, and Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Those were ones that were, like, in my life constantly. And then I got super into Apollo 13, and I'm, like, 95% sure that's why I went through all of middle school, thinking that if I could just get good at math, then I could be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all know how that one went. Mm-hmm. And then in, like, my slightly older childhood... There was the movie The Birdcage, which is an incredible movie. I love that movie so much. Never even heard of it. Oh my god, it's should I have fucking hilarious? Oh yeah, god. probably. I mean, it's it's a pretty niche movie, but I've encountered a few people recently who know of it. Like, I think it has a cult following. Do yourselves all a favor and look it up on IMDb. Much like Clue the Musical. Yeah, <laughs> is it a musical? No. No, Clue the movie. no, but it is in my brain now. <laughs> um, so in terms of stuff I liked, that's a category for movies that I really enjoyed, or not just movies, but like stuff that I really enjoyed in its time. But looking back, I, I'm on the fence as to like whether or not it like meant anything to me. And so in that category is Spirit, um, which is that movie about the horse. Yep. Oh, please. I saw that one like 10 trillion times. Stallion of the Cimarron? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fun story about that movie. So Matt Damon voices Spirit. Yeah. And at the time, I was in an after-school club called Vermont Kids Against Smoking. And Matt no, Damon... you were just, not. I was. You're um, a nerd. <laughs> hey. I believe in your cause, but you're a nerd. I got to march at, uh, at the State House. Okay. Wow. I'm like an activist. Wow. Um, <laughs> in, case, God, in case anyone wants to know, like, where my roots in, like, civic service come from. Oh, my God. Anyway, so Matt Damon had just starred in some movie. Doesn't even matter what. But he smokes in that movie. And I got everybody in my club to write letters to Matt Damon about how disappointing it was that he was, like, smoking in this movie because he was also the voiceover actor in spirit and like a lot of kids really liked that movie oh my god <laughs> what came of that did he write you back we never sent them 
Which, it was my advisor's fault, okay? But the point is that we still wrote them. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> and that I knew a lot about the the movie and Matt Damon after that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then there was the stuff that I watched a lot. So these yeah. were movies that, like, are sometimes TV shows that were, like, on constantly, and so I was constantly absorbing them. But I definitely didn't always like them, and they don't necessarily all, like, resonate with me anymore. So obvious names on this list are Spongebob, Fairly Odd Parents, Dexter's Lab, Courage the Cowardly Dog, which scared the fucking shit out of me my entire life. And it comes up again in, like, my middle school to high school years because I had Cartoon Network and a TV in my room, and I would leave the TV on to fall asleep. But then Courage would always always come on at 10 o'clock, and then I would have these horrific nightmares because of it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Fucked me up. And then... There's some more old movies that come up. So Meet Me in St. Louis is one that I loved as a small child and wanted to watch constantly, but hasn't, I've seen it a couple times in adulthood and it hasn't left much of an impression on me. Yeah. White Christmas, uh, My Fair Lady. I was obsessed with My Fair Lady as a kid. And the more I think about it, the more I think it's because we had it on VHS. And Mm -hmm. so it was like a two tape set. So yeah. there's an intermission, and in the intermission, there's this, like, montage of people moving baskets of flowers around. And I think there's a real good chance I just really liked that part. <laughs> Were they in an array? Uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> she also wears a sparkly tiara. All right. At sure. the end, so. And I really liked her, like, her velvet evening gloves. Like, she was just very fancy. So I think that's what was going on there. And then... I've mentioned before, uh, Father of the Bride Part 2. Not Part 1, Part 2. Right. So then the list that is categorized in four degrees is Stuff That Stuck. So as the name suggests, these are the things that are like, like things that resonate with me now. Yeah. So Anastasia, we've talked about at length on the show, but that one is like a bedrock for me. That Thing You Do, which is a... Very culty Tom Hanks film yeah. about a one-hit wonder. Mm-hmm. It's set in the early 60s, and it's a lot of fun. It's great. It's a lot of friendship themes. There's what I, uh, as of the writing of this list, have decided to call the asshole dichotomy, mm-hmm. where you have, like, the one character who... Like, in this case, is Jimmy, who's, like, the polished front man, and he's, like, pretty and beautiful and charismatic, and everybody loves him, but he's actually a giant dick. And then you've got Lenny, who's the bassist, who's, like, a womanizer, and he's kind of flighty and dumb, and so everyone thinks he's an asshole, but he turns out to be a good person. Same thing would be Chandler and Joey from Friends. Anyway, great movie. I was obsessed with it. Still obsessed with it. Really, or not really good, but, like, a love story that I appreciate. And it's about a band. And there's, like... A lot of things on this list that are related to music, which was like a fairly important thing to me when I was a teenager. So building up to it. Yeah. Also on here is Swan Princess, Mulan. I didn't put Little Mermaid on here, but I probably should have. I have Singing in the Rain. And then I have like the whole Doris Day canon. Yeah. So (laughs) On Moonlight Bay, Calamity Jane, Pillow Talk, Lover Come Back, Send Me No Flowers. Like those were a huge part of my childhood. And I... I love Doris Day. I love Doris Day characters. It, it, like, very much reminds me of, like, the Joan Holloway school of feminism. Mm-hmm. Doris Day characters are often women who are trapped in their time and are, like, trying to be their own person in spite of it. Yeah. Armchair, psychologize that how you will. <laughs> Harry Potter is obviously on here. Wrong age. Not uh yeah. I started reading Harry Potter in elementary oh, school. reading. Fuck okay. you. Fuck movies, you. Are, movies don't count. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> Trying to tell me what my relationship with Harry Potter was like. I just wanted to say it because I didn't mention it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to ruin my fun. I didn't put books on my list. I didn't know that was part of it. Anything could be part of it. It's just media, Kelsey. Oh, I have a lot of books. I was a nerd. 
Yeah, there. I didn't put any books down other than Harry Potter because it would have been an exhaustive task to try yeah. to remember what those books were. And, yeah. like, 90% of them were horse-related. I was really here for that historical fiction that American Girl could provide for me. <laughs> well, I was also super here for, um, I can't remember the name of the series, but I remember the, the covers distinctly. But they, it was a historical series about girls and women... And it was in diary form? Yeah, it was the lesser American Girl doll copycat. It was like Dear Diary or some shit like that. No, it was not. It was something like that. I'm Googling it right now. I remember it because I thought they were worse. <laughs> I've been an elitist all of my life, Kiersey. <laughs> um... Yeah, they were, like, pretty activism-based. Uh, it's where I learned about uh, domestic abuse. It's where I learned about labor rights. It's where I learned about immigration. Learned about a lot of stuff from that book series. Dear America. Dear America, yes. Those are not series. actually all the ones I was thinking of, so I'll give you, like, half points, but they did not jump off the shelf the way Kirsten did, let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. We are definitely not done with American Girl content. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry, Kelsey. Not now, not ever. <laughs> Speaking of books, this straddles into my middle school years and is like more important there, obviously, but a series of unfortunate events mm-hmm. that started when I was in elementary school. And that is still a pretty important series for me. Mm-hmm. That's that's it until we hit our my teenage years. My teenage years is like mostly music and movies. Yeah. And then my my early childhood was all of that stuff. Plus all I had some overlaps stuff. with you. So like um I played a lot of Oregon Trail. I played Carmen San Diego. I watched Arthur and Doug and Magic School Bus. Like I watched Magic School Bus before I had to go to school in the morning. Yeah. The other thing that I will throw out there as being like a landmark moment um, that was pretty formative for me was uh, when I got AOL in the fourth grade oh. and started using instant messenger. I did not get it that early in my life. Yeah. I So I had a friend who was in middle school when I got AOL. She lived in the house behind mine. And so she, that was the only person that I instant messaged with. But I mean, you have to remember I was in fourth grade, so this is still in the 90s. And so... There was a lot of fear in the culture about, like, chat rooms and talking yeah. to strangers and the danger of the internet. And so I was only allowed to be on AOL if my mom or my grandmother could be in the room with me. And they had to stand behind me and watch my chat window. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was, like, this really wild thing. Like, I remember one of the first few times that I was instant messaging with this girl it was advanced enough to show when they were typing and then like the thing would pop up and there was text on the screen. And like, I knew that she was talking to me and it was, it felt like magical. It was so mind blowing. Yeah. I used to get in a lot of trouble for taking up the phone line. Yeah. And that being a big drama. And then we had to get a second phone line because I was on the internet too much. Yeah, I had a friend who had better AOL access than the rest of us for whatever reason. She might have had another phone line. That might have been why. But we would always go over to her house to play on the internet, and which is, like, such a cute thing to say now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, like, we would frequently get booted off and whatever because her mom's landline was super active. But, yeah, like, there was so much of our time spent together that was just, like, booting up her slow-ass AOL. Yeah. I think the only reason we got cable was to also get cable internet. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys would have had that a long time before we did up here. Yeah, it was like I was in fifth grade or something. It wasn't late, but yeah. We, this will come up again in my middle school years because this was like important, but we didn't have DSL in like my area until I was in sixth grade. And when we got it up here, there was one small very small section of my town that got it and I just happened to live like right on the line ah. so we got DSL when I was in the sixth grade but it was still another couple of years before the whole town had it let alone 
anywhere else. And I mean, to this day, there are still parts of the state that don't have DSL. So I took a little bit of time to pull out some common themes from mine. But I noticed that a lot of the stories that I was really drawn to, a lot of the like kid friendly stories, at least if I didn't go too deep into the things that were really driven by like what my mom was watching. But a lot of what I was into were like, either orphan or amnesiac stories. And then like stories that were female led, and then friendship stories. So there's a, or like self discovery stories. Okay, those are like the big ones, which I know seems like a broad enough net that it could encapsulate like most things kids are watching, but not necessarily. Yeah. But like the the things that are in my things that stuck category are like mostly, yeah, loners or like orphans or people, people who for whatever reason sort of lack a history, female leads and self discovery stories, which like given given the last few years is like an interesting trend, <laughs> and like going going back to our theory that like you know, children are absorbing everything around them, both on a personal level and culturally, like all the way up from what's happening in your own brain to what's happening in the culture. That makes the whole conversation about like issues of representation meaningful. And yeah, because you're sitting there looking at the stories and you're trying to think as a kid, because kids are narcissists. So you're looking at the stories and you're thinking like, what does this have to do with me? Where am I in this story? Why does this matter to me? So I think it's interesting that given that those are the questions kids are asking themselves, that those are the stories that stuck with me. Interesting. I feel like that's a lot clearer for you than it is for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, because of what I do for a living and some of the unique circumstances around my life, like I've probably had more of a reason to reflect on that or like more opportunity to reflect on that. Yeah. 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 But I think like, it may not be as crystallized, but there are things in that list that you can draw back that probably mean something about the things that you do now, if that makes sense, or like the way that you think about the world or what you're interested in. I mean, even just us joking about the fact that you watch so much TV now because you didn't have it as a kid. It's a joke, but... Yeah. Yeah. But fair. I think I'm averse to Disney because I was... <laughs> wronged by them. <laughs> I also think it's interesting to like take yet another step back and think about how you were engaging with that content when you were a kid. So I know for me, and it sounds like this was somewhat true for you, if there was something that I was into, even at a young age, I was like trying to understand every single aspect of it. So I was like, researching as much as was possible before the internet or I like knew the name of every person involved in the thing or I knew all of the songs and I had the script memorized and like whatever was in my power to know at the time yeah my mom always referred to them as me having like obsessions that moved from one thing to the next so it would be like I only watched the parent trap for like months and then I move on to something else and I uh-huh. only watch that for months and months and months and like know everything about it and that's all I was interested in and like when the when the Harry Potter movies came out when the day that the actors were chosen and that press release went out I had it printed out and on my wall <laughs> like a weirdo One of my favorite things that has ever happened in Kelsey and I's friendship is when she moved back home and was cleaning out her childhood bedroom and found, like, boxes of old printouts from, like, the internet circa the time of the the announcements of the first movie where she was, like, printing out information about, like, Daniel Radcliffe. I would (laughs) wait for my parents to leave so they didn't know I used all the printer ink and then I would print all this crap. snapshot of the internet in time because it's literally printouts of web pages but i had them all over my walls because i was obsessed with it (laughs) and she had like all of the rip out like centerfold posters that would come in like the nickelodeon kids and like the i threw a lot of that stuff but i did save like a good portion of it and it's so good oh i'm so glad you saved some of it 
It's Nickelodeon one of my favorite magazine. Things. Yeah, it's great. So yeah. great. Oh, on that note, Time for Kids was like a pretty formative thing for me. Was that the one they got in schools? Yeah, we had it in my fifth grade class and we had to read one issue a week. And I think it did its job. I feel like it contributed to why I'm interested in the news. There you go. But Time for Kids had a huge pop culture component. It did. I saved the Harry Potter edition. (laughs) So this, I just confirmed this like a month ago, maybe. But there was an article right before the last, or no, fifth grade. That would have been the fourth book. Fourth. Was that the Goblet of Fire? Fourth book, first movie. Right around there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. So right (laughs) before that book came out, because I went to that midnight release. Some obsessions don't go away. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Um, Some people are just who they are, guys. So when that book came out and there was all the press, press splash for it, there was an interview in Time for Kids with J.K. Rowling where they were talking about the fact that she was going to do seven books, one for every year at Hogwarts, yeah. which back in that time, like, people didn't know this yet. Yeah. So that was still, like, an important thing, especially because the movies were now coming out, and it was much like the drama with um, Game of Thrones outpacing the yeah. books, yeah. where that was, like, everyone's fear. And this was also in a time when, like, major adaptations were not a thing, and so... There's some fantastic articles if you go back in time and read different different news stories about the movie announcements and, like, teachers and librarians across the country flipping their shit about how movies were going to destroy the integrity of reading and we were going to raise an illiterate generation because of it. Yeah. Anyway, so J.K. Rowling was interviewed in Time for Kids, and they were talking about the last book, and she said that the only thing she would say about the last book is that the last two words would be lightning scar. Mm-hmm. I was in fifth grade when I read this article. <laughs> you better fucking believe that I held on to that every goddamn step of the way. And then we got to the end of the Deathly Hallows and it wasn't in the real ending. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll read the Godforsaken epilogue. And you want to know what? Those words were not at the end of the epilogue either. And it took about... Let's see, that came out when I was a senior in high school, so it took until, like, last month for me to find that article in Time for Kids to prove to myself that J.K. Rowling once said that that would be the ending. (laughs) And when I found it, what I actually found was an article where they were interviewing J.K. Rowling, and she referenced that previous thing, and her only answer to the fact that she didn't end up ending The Deathly Hallows with Lightning Scar is like, I didn't like the way that sounded, so I chose something different. Oh my god. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I waited literally my entire life for that? And you're so into spoilers, too. I know! Oh no. Literally, my MO in life is when I read a book, I read the first chapter, I go and read the last page, and then I go back and read the rest of the book. So for time for kids to publish the last two words of the last book when we were on the fourth book was like a dream come Mm -hmm. true for me. And then J.K. Rowling had to go and fucking ruin everything like 15 years later. She ruined everything. I didn't even like The Deathly Hallows the first time I read it. Oh my god. (laughs) Amazing. Obviously, this is a rich subject. It is a rich because subject. we hold on to the things we care about so much. Oh my god! <laughs> it feels silly and trite, but there is a reason why these things mean something to us, even if we don't know exactly. What and J.K. It is. Rowling, if you're out there, I still haven't forgiven you, and I would like to get a cup of tea and talk about it and see if we can reconcile our differences. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, man. So next week, we are going to come back to this topic and talk about our teenage years a little bit, which has come up, like, in bits and pieces with um, rom-com education. So it'll be fun to come back to that. And we will, again, be sort of, like, back in the sphere of Bromfenbrenner's ecological systems theory. Uh Because pop culture is important when you're a teenager. So get super hype. So hype. So hype. So hype. So hype. 
Every time you say that, it reminds me of Sweet Caroline. (laughs) I think that would make that song better. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, no. Anyway. Yeah, so if you you have some stuff from your childhood that you want to talk about, you can find us on Twitter at HeyWatchWithUs, or you can send us your personal story at uh, via email. <laughs> hey, watch this at gmail.com. It'll be great. Except don't send us anything too personal. It could get weird. Yeah, don't get weird. We're not like actual therapists. Only Kirstie is. And only half. I'm not even a therapist. <laughs> I, I like. Whatever. <laughs> you have a level of education, it's fine. but i'm not a therapist don't add us yeah don't add us but please add us just not about that yeah just not not about that you can also find additional content on our tumblr hatewatchofthis.tumblr.com where we have rom-com education and game of thrones stuff and episodes and it's also just a website if you like us enough that you want to spend time on a website yeah Pretend that it's 2001 and you're excited to have AOL in your basement for the first time ever. If you want us to make a GeoCities, we will. <gasps> I had literally like 12 GeoCities websites. Of course you did. I was like literally fluent in HTML. Oh we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> All right. Well, well, thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. What the fuck is wrong with us? <laughs> A lot of things, Kelsey. <laughs> so many things. All right, I'm ready.